Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. And by Nella from Fitbiomics. A Harvard doctor has found a probiotic strain that is found in most world-class athletes. Not all probiotics are the same. More information on all our sponsors at OverTheBall.com slash sponsors. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hey, everybody, welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, alongside the one coach of the year and defending national champion, Chris Shamans. Man, that's a, that's a lot, brother. Uh, we Look, everyone, we have a great show, a timely show today. Chris and I, about two weeks ago, had a chance to sit down and talk to a guy named Dr. Jonathan Scheiman, who developed a probiotic named Nella. Now, uh, full disclosure, Nella is one of our sponsors. Uh, but since they were our sponsors, Chris and I started doing a little digging around, a little due diligence, to call it, in the legal field on the product and some of what we've learned is pretty amazing. So there is a link, hear me out everybody now, there's a link between gut health and athletic performance, all right? And what we discovered is they're having some really great results with athletic performance. So we decided we wanted to sit down with this guy and talk to him and see what the, what the deal was. But how does it pertain to soccer? Uh, one of the guys, uh, the celebrity professional athletes, they have a bunch of professional athletes, Olympic athletes, uh, uh, Mullins, Chris Mullins from St. John, where Dr. Scheiman used to play ball. Uh, and then also the Houston Dynamo's Tim Parker. So we got Tim Parker and Dr. Jonathan Scheiman on the game. So had them both on for two very specific reasons. Um, you know, one, I wanted to see what the science is behind this because everybody's looking for an edge athletically with athletic performance. And then how it pertains to our game, Chris, you know, uh, this, this game of soccer, I'm thinking, you know, I was talking to Chris, or we were asking Chris, um, I mean, uh, Tim about, you know, preseason and uh, recovery and, and how this has uh, affected him. And he had some pretty interesting answers. But what I will say now is we're getting ready to run this article, right? run this podcast. And then this week on Sunday, uh, yesterday, in the New York Post, an article came out. Uh, Chris, I think I sent it to you. It's uh, yep. like, I don't know how, how, you know, poop pill could be the secret to crushing it at the gym longer. That was the name of the article, which is some of the stuff that we had discovered was just kind of like there is a link between high performance athletes and the poop that is in, I guess, starts in their gut. And that's what this doctor, Dr. Jonathan Scheinman, has basically uh, isolated this and has put it in, and then they must do some, they must put it through the washing machine or something. I don't know what they do, but they somehow, they somehow isolate this strain and then they put it in a probiotic. And now apparently you can work out longer. You know, this guy uh, was talking about, he's lost weight. He, uh, he trains harder, his recovery shorter. So look, um, you hear a lot of these magic diet pills, but pretty much gut health has been around for a long time. So we talked to the doctor about two weeks ago uh, in this interview. Hey, Chris, I mean, we found him pretty amazing, didn't you? Like it was pretty fascinating that, that poop helps your athletic performance. Yeah, and, and I think the conversation requires a certain amount of maturity, and I'm not sure that you and I have that maturity, but... I think you have it. You're a head coach of a Division uh, One program. Well, I'm not so I don't. sure uh, <laughs> poop pill will... will do, it'll do great with my two sons who are 13 and 11. This will get a lot of traction. 
Um, and I'm curious it's... about gut health in the, the world of comedians. Tell me about that. Is this, uh, is this something that's- Gut health? Hit, it's hit athletes. Now, is it going to hit comedians next? Oh, my God. Comedians are the most unhealthy people in the world. <laughs> They're all just very angry misanthropes. It's terrible. Um, but I think you're right with this whole poop thing. I was with, uh, you know, my, uh, my younger sister has two little boys, and she was talking to me. Yeah. And she says, I, hold on a second. She was eating some walnuts, and she goes, or almonds, and she goes, hold on a second. I, I, uh, give me a minute. I'm, I have some nuts in my mouth. <laughs> and her two boys laughed oh. an hour straight. And she's like, okay, I, all right, I get it's funny. For an hour, boys? Yes, Stop. yes <laughs> an hour. That's about right. That sounds about right. about right, my boys. <laughs> and uh, I, I know when I taught the uh, Stand Up and Learn kids, I teach this you know, stand-up comedy class for, for little kids, junior high school kids, actually. Um, it's every time the girls are so much more mature than the boys. Uh, than the girl, there's always a cute little girl. It's like, um, Mr. Flynn, can I ask you a question? And I'm like, sure, what's up, honey? She's like, um, don't call me honey. No, it's another <laughs> conversation. Um I said, yeah, what is it? And she goes, um, these guys are making uh, poop and fart jokes. And when are that? When are those not funny to gut boys? And I go, eh, kind of never. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It's kind of funny for some yeah. reason. But look. Another heartbroken. You know, <laughs> but, but I tell you, this, this, they did this beta study and the findings are pretty significant. So I think, you know, I, I don't know how you're going to sit down with your team at LMU and ask them to all start to, to take the right probiotics with the right poop can, uh, you know, yeah, but it, up. It, it does lead to the, the real question, right. Of like, we're all trying to regenerate and perform at the highest levels and try to shrink down those times, you know, between performance and recovery and the next performance. And you have these huge teams right now, like Liverpool and Man City, who are just trying to dial this in in such a big way because they have so many important games and every game and every point is, is so valuable right now for them. Right. And that just trickles down. So the, it's a competitive landscape. Everyone's looking for an advantage. And so if they can create an advantage through this product, you know, it's going to become more and more popular, or at least the studies are going to get ramped up so that all these teams can figure out if this is something that they should give to their players. Right. I've heard about it for a long time, but it seems like, I mean, they're just learning more within the specific field. So anyway, he, he played basketball at St. John's with Mullins and uh, Tim Parker, of course, I followed his career. You know, nice guy, Tim. I, I hadn't, uh, hadn't ever talked to him. Had you known him before the interview? No, I just know his name because, you know, yeah. he's been around MLS for a while and done well. And then Chris Mullen, I know the Mullen family because they, they all yeah. went to Zavarian High School in Brooklyn, which is where I went. And I graduated with his younger brother, Terrence, and, and there's John Mullen as well. So, like, I know the whole family there. Um, but Chris is one of those guys that same thing, like, would always come back to the high school. And every year that he went back to the NBA, he was more and more fit through the years, you know. And so, like, right. he was at NBA 1.0 in, in a way, if you know what I mean, in terms of the regeneration stuff. And now we're on such an advanced stage of that. But Tim has uh, done a great job of making a career for himself and making have some longevity to it. And this is part of it. Yeah, it's a good all-American, you know, journey that he's taken, and uh, we need more guys like him uh, to stay in the game. It's uh, it's great. So, um, all right, and so Dr. Scheiman, I guess, played basketball at St. John's, and so I was just going to say, from from hoop to poop is basically what we've got the interview that's coming up. Yeah. So, uh, so stick around for that. It's all about an athletic performance because you know if this is real, you know Ronaldo's going to be in there doing what he can. Um, so, uh, you know, because everybody's looking for that edge, like you said. And I think, you know, you're talking about Liverpool and Man City when they played that game. Uh, Man City had a tougher time recovering. Uh, so it's just that little bit of edge and you could see it on the field. 
especially these players. So I, I asked Tim Parker about, you know, preseason recovery, all that stuff. So we, uh, we definitely go into the soccer aspects of it. So, uh, so now you, um, you've got your women's team. They're probably in the middle of finals. Uh, getting ready for finals. Yeah. We just finished spring getting ready for finals in a, in a couple of weeks. So do you kind of let them go for finals? To do we do all of our or? training. And uh, when we're done with our spring season, which just recently ended, then, you know, for us, everyone does it slightly differently, but we'll have a, a final team meeting. We also have individual meetings with each player, recap where we've been with them and then individually lay out a plan for them to go forward with uh, for their summer to prepare for the preseason. And then they're still in touch, obviously, with a fitness plan, with our strength and performance coach and all that stuff. Do they do they weigh in each week or not weigh but not wait wait but do they weigh in on Zoom or whatever? Do you check in that way of, over the course of the summer? Um, yeah, I mean we've just been together a whole bunch, so we'll give them a little bit of space because they'll have reading week and finals week, and so we kind of just give them space to academically do as well as they can and finish strong, and then they'll, we'll reconnect typically and just start to gauge it, you know, check in on what their summer plans are and you know how they plan to tackle both their for example, internships or whatnot, and also balancing yeah. that with their fitness stuff that they have to keep up. And so, you know, back in the day when I played and there was not as much monitoring going on as coaches are able to connect and communicate with players year round. We know more about fitness levels. Uh, you know, you, you soccer used to go, just go for a run, two mile run, then start practice, maybe a scrimmage at the end. And all of that has, has changed. But one thing I do remember about the summer was that you either had players that went one way or the other players either really went to another level by who they played with in the summer. I know a lot of, uh, a lot of women who played with men's teams in the summer to sort of up their game and quickness and stuff. And then some players, you know, that I knew, but you know, they're just eating pizza and drinking beer partying all summer. And then they come back overweight out of it. It doesn't seem like there's any space for that anymore in the college game. Is there? No, it's too competitive, you know? So the yeah. summer now is about how can you, maintain your fitness because the years of you know I, th I think back in the day it was more yo-yoing guys were fit or women were fit for a certain yeah. part of the year but not for the other part of the year and now it's just so competitive that you don't need to realistically be at peak fitness all 12 months because that's unrealistic but you have to be within striking distance of that and so we kind of talk to our players about that you know how and when to peak of course and in the summertime is kind of the long ramp up to get yourself ready for a fall season so the amount of times you can touch the ball becomes important. And then obviously maximizing your strength, your strength and conditioning, your overall fitness. And as you know, soccer wise, like our sport's different. You need the aerobic fitness, the anaerobic fitness. And so you really have to like create a smart plan to come right. in prepared. Like you can't just run a marathon. Like that's not really going to help you. You know what I mean? So you have to have like that balanced approach towards how you, you know, tackle your fitness with your strength training because you want injury prevention to be a part of what you do as well. So there's so much that goes into designing a program over, let's say, a summer, over a quarter, over a semester, over a full year, over a four-year cycle. Right. When do you try to have your team peak? Because, I mean, you try to have them maintain in the summer. They come in for preseason. And preseason used to be guys were unfit coming in to preseason. And so a coach had to not only get people fit, but then start to, you know, put a team together. Um basically. So. Yeah, it's up to the coach. I mean, every, every coach handles their preseason differently. Um, I'm generalizing right now, but for me, the preseason is less about fitness and it's more about getting some of the soccer ideas in place and, and kind of evaluating our group and kind of figuring out a way to play. Um, so that takes precedent, which means we need them to arrive 
as fit as possible. So we ask them to do their due diligence on their own to arrive at level, let's say nine out of 10. And then through some matches, we can get them to 10 out of 10. But we don't like the, the days of like putting the balls away and just running and all that stuff. Like we yeah. don't choose to do it that way. Some, some coaches do, um, but we, we don't choose to do it that way. We try to find other efficiencies. It's funny. One thing I love about the women's game, I was thinking about it yesterday because I was with my girlfriend watching PSG play yesterday. Uh, Di Maria goes down in the box. They show the replay, not even touched. He stayed down for 10 minutes. Just, just, it's so embarrassing to me. By the way, I'm in Mexico this week. So it's like there's soccer on 24 seven. I know, isn't it great? It's absolutely amazing. It's wonderful. You know, we're driving uh, through Puerto Vallarta and it's, everybody's playing in the streets and stuff. I just, I just love it. I still don't think we're there with soccer. I think it's still a little too structured. No, I mean, so like we have, and I think Ali said this last week when he was on our show is that we, we have the most soccer content in the world. You know, because we have the licensing rights to all these different countries and leagues. And so we can consume more soccer than even Europeans can consume because it becomes more restrictive, the television rights over there. So we have all that. But what we don't have, like if if I've gone to Spain and done different soccer things there, like you could turn on the TV in the hotel and you have Madrid TV and it's 24-7 Madrid. You know, it's yeah. just simply Real Madrid. So you're watching their women play, their first team train, their under 17s, their under 14s, you know, all it's just 24 hour content of just the club. So we're not at that point yet. That right, would be amazing. Right. You know, if we, if, let's say we're in LA, if you had an, you know, 24 hour LAFC channel, you know, we're not there yet. So they are ahead of us in those ways. But as kids, we would have been watching that because I watched some of the things that go on. Some of the things I didn't even know were possible with the ball. I mean, some of the stepovers and the moves that that players do now. As a kid, you watch that, you mentor, you know, get a mentor. You, know, you go out and you you have the the time to go out and practice that move for four hours, four days a week, till you have it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it's part of your repertoire, and you move on to the next trick. Like I don't know. Every time I see Neymar. Uh, he's got something different up his sleeve. It's unbelievable. You know, yeah, they have fun yeah. with the ball. Well, what you're saying about diving before with Di Maria, it's like I think yeah. some of that has gotten knocked out a little bit with VAR, or at least I'd like to think that. You know, with yeah. the VAR and the video review, you know, you, you're held a little bit more accountable because if you do something kind of egregious on the diving side, everyone's going to see it and the replay is going to be shown over and over again. And if you do that too, you know, a few too many times, you know, that reputation kind of gets stamped on you, and that's not necessarily what you want. But you're also dealing with, like, if you mentioned Di Maria, he's old enough or he's come up through the ranks without VAR. So that's just in his DNA that he's going to yeah, flip but it's also in the Argen- every now. It's also in the Argentinian cultural DNA. Yeah, to, yeah to there's flop. that part you know, too. Americans, exactly. yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. get really annoyed at that. But I, I yeah. think there should be something punitive because it was so egregious. No one touched him and he yeah. stayed down for 10 minutes. And it's like, go to VAR, yellow card or red card. I mean, it's like... You you pretended you were injured, and not only yeah. like oh I got smacked, but like I got you know a devastating blow, and then I don't know. Anyway, it was yeah. a compliment to the women's game because I they rarely flop. Not no, like we get we get far far less of that in the women's side yeah. of the game, and I mean there are multiple sports that you know like I know a lot of people who are tennis people who like to watch women's tennis more than men's tennis, just in the sense that you know, the men serve at like 135 miles an hour and it's right. like points last two, three, two, three shots and the points over where the women's game, you tend to on average have longer rallies at times. So that's, right. it's more of that. And it's even basketball, I've heard opinions on basketball where it's not about playing above the rim in the women's game. It's about, yeah. you know, perhaps more pure basketball movements. And so for, for some purists, they like the women's game a little bit more. 
of the old Bob Cousy days with basketball, which is what he said. Bob Cousy actually said that's how we would we move the ball. People were better shooters. They played bet more defense. Uh, the NBA has come become more individualistic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, you you can't yeah. zone up and and a, a few other things. Yeah. So, Do you uh, still shoot your free throws underhanded like Bob? Cousy? Underhand, like the Rick Barry way, always. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's smart. Plus, plus it glances up against my nuts, so it's a win for win. I get two different <laughs> things as I. Yes, I do it. Um, all right. Well, good. So uh, what I wanted to ask you, though, is so you're, you know, you're coaching the women, but you have this MLS um, background to you. Uh, you were in San Jose. You were uh, with the Galaxy and you were. Chivas you USA. Oh, Chivas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was with San Jose. That Earth got kind of funky for a while there, didn't it? That whole Chivas USA. I, I was my Chivas USA experience was awesome. I was there for four years and we were a playoff team every year. But yes, uh, the time before and the time after, and I'm not saying it's directly connected to me, um, but, it, <laughs> yeah. but it probably is. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. sure, man. They uh, lost your brain drain. Is you they, they just uh, really struggled. on the When they first started out, they really struggled. And, and on the back end, they really struggled from a business side of things. But the four years I was there, we had a ton of great players, good teams, a lot of guys that went on to become coaches, um, mm -hmm. I mean, you're talking about Brad Guzan, Ante Razov. Um, you had uh, Jesse Marsh. You have Jim Curtin. These are MLS coaches, Premier League wow. coaches. Yeah. They were all in that team. And then you had some of the best Mexican talent, like Claudio Suarez, you know, the center back from Mexico. Amazing player. One of the best defenders I've ever seen in an everyday environment in training. You know, his ability, just so smart and tough. And, yeah. you know, his ability to, to have to just be a warrior. You know what I mean? And, and everything he did for Mexico. And even at his advanced age, when he came to Chivas USA, he's still the smartest and best defender that we had in the group. We had Carlos Yamosa in those teams. We had a ton of talented guys. Uh, Paulo Nagamora was in those teams. He's now coaching in Houston. So it's an extraordinary group of players that went on to become, you know, real, real people in the soccer landscape sure. to this day. Mentioned a couple of them there. Pretty impressive. Um, did you deal a lot of Hispanic players, a lot of talent there? It, was it was there a cultural difference there that was a challenge or things that you learned? that Because a lot of your players, uh, when you won the national championship, were of Hispanic descent, right? Um, yeah, the, the college team was what a great hodgepodge of, of guys. You know, we were a lot of local guys from the L.A. area, which, yes, in the greater L.A. area, which were a lot of uh, Latino guys uh, from different backgrounds and different countries. Mm -hmm. And then we had this international part to our team as well. And I think MLS is like that, too. Right. You know, you right. have all especially now it's like. The, the world has gotten even smaller with scouting. And so, you know, the efficiencies that are out there to build your team, whether it's through South America or Central America, that seems to be the place where MLS can get good deals um, on right. players, you know, as opposed to going to Portugal. You know, if you go to the, you go to watch the under 17s play in Portugal, they're either signed already or they're worth 15 million, you know, and so it's really hard for MLS to be in that pool. Uh, in terms of money, but, you know, we're getting into those directions slowly, but surely, but yeah, all those MLS teams, all it really meant, you know, when, whether it's MLS or college, it just means that guys came up in different ways. Some right. guys came up traditional paths through their academies. Other guys didn't, you know, kind of, uh, developed till later in their careers. Some were anointed really early in their careers. Played in the street. Yeah. Lots yeah of it was ways. really yeah. interesting. We, we had guys that, defected from cuba you know uh alonzo the guy who i think is who went seattle to atlanta i think he got hurt recently but like he literally came to the u.s to play for cuba 
and just scooted out of the hotel. And, and we was with us at Chivas USA for training and we couldn't, uh, I think at the time Preki was the coach and he didn't sign him, but he, he left, uh, not San Jose Chivas. He left Chivas and went up to Seattle and got signed in Seattle and was there and won championship. Played well there. for them. Yeah. yeah for, great. for a long, long time. Yeah, so did great. What's, What's the difference? So you you were MLS, what do you say, 1.0? What would you say it's now? 3.0 now or 4.0? Yeah, I mean, I was definitely 1.0. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, 96, it was, I guess, the first year. Um, and I was in there 99 to 2001-ish with yeah. San Jose. And then Chivas from 2003 to 2007, something like that. And then now these last five years I've been with LAFC. Um, and so, you know, having those different roles, I think each one of them was slightly different 1.0, yeah. 2.0. I mean, maybe we're on 4.0 now because the bar keeps going up higher and higher. Just like last, last week or so when, when we had Dominic Kinnear on and how he talks about, you know, how the stadium in Cincinnati is unbelievable. One of the best in the league, right? you know, and this is Cincinnati and you know, it's, it's not LA or New York. So it's amazing how far we've all come. Yeah, with that, how about the level of play that, that you've noticed? Have you seen a, a big jump? Because I know we develop a lot of players in North America, uh, South America, Central America. Um, it, it's, it seems... it's a really good debate. You know, I mean, yeah. you're going to have some purists who are going to say that those early DC United teams and Chicago Fire teams and Galaxy teams are as good as any team that's ever been in MLS. Yeah. You know, you're, you're going to have that. And and it's hard to argue against that. You know, the the depth and there were fewer teams then. So you had really good quality and some depth. Nowadays, I think with the number of teams that you have, I think our best are really strong and can compete with some of those great teams in the past. Um, but I wonder, I wonder, you yeah. know, how we would all stack up in terms of, for example, like taking one of our teams out and dropping them into a European league. Like, how would they do? You know, how would our best team do in MLS if we dropped them into the Premier League? You know, would they be able to crack the top 10? Um, I, I don't necessarily think that they have to get relegated. They might be able to do better than that. But, you know, it depends on how you look at the roster development over the course of time. Like, there's just so much uh, diversity now, you know, where things are... Well, I would say this, it's a little bit harder for the American player to get in. And I've, I've noticed that and that concern, yeah. concerns me. You know, because there are other leagues out there where they may say, hey, you have to have X number of Italian players on the field because you're playing in Syria. Ah, you know, and so we, we haven't gone that to that point yet, but there aren't that many young American kids coming up and getting games in MLS. Well, that was the, the problem with NASL. I remember there were no Americans on the field. And even then they said the Americans could be green card holders and they weren't, you know, they're Americans technically, but they, you know, would be have been in this country for you know 18 months. And, and playing. So it was uh, really difficult. And I've seen it in college. We've talked about this before on the show where the college game was sort of dominated. The top tier teams when I was playing in the eighties was, you know, the Clemson, which were all foreign born players. Um, a, a lot of L Davis and Elkins, Hartwick, you know, they, they all came over from England. So it yeah. was really hard to get, uh, you know, to be a really highly competitive team with just American players back then. Then there seemed to be that middle period where just a lot of American players were coming out. You had the great ones came out of the, came out of the pile, but uh, it seems to have gone back now to a lot of foreign players are playing in college because they see it as a, as a different way. Yeah, of no, it's a good, it's a great point of the, I mean, you just summarize the evolution really well, which is surprising how well you did that. Um, so what I, what I'm trying to say here is that, over the course of time, like when you look back at the Hartwick days and the Clemson days, 
the American college, there weren't as many um, American players coming up through the ranks. And then as right. soccer exploded, we just flooded the college game with American players and the international player was more watered down. There weren't as many because we had a lot of these seats being taken by the American players. And now you've right. come out the other side where the very, very best American players are going on to sign pro, uh, whether that's domestically or, or overseas. And so that's opened up a small percentage of seats at the elite level at the college game. And some of the college coaches aren't, are, are instead of choosing the next level American player, they're just replacing them with a European player or an international player. And so you have a lot more international players specifically in, div in division one now uh, on the men's side, especially that than we've ever had before. Then you have like a Jack Harrison, you know, who, who, uh, you know, went to high school here basically. And then mm -hmm. just um, played a year or two of college and then now in the pros now in the premier league. So a good step. Um, I'm looking at relegation happening in the premier league. It's been a great race this year, the premier league, because, you know, you got Liverpool and Man City just neck and neck here, point difference between the two of them. And then, you know, you're talking about MLS and how would they compete? I've always felt like MLS, uh, could they compete with Liverpool? No. Could they compete with Stoke? Yes, I think so. Um, but this is that time of year when there's a bunch of coaching changes where they would always bring in Sam Allardyce, you know, in, uh, yeah. in the premier league, you know, to just yeah. do his, whatever he did and just yeah. yell at the guys to, uh, you know, he was going to dock the money or something. I'm not sure what he would do, but he always got a shot. Um, big, big coaching change, DC United, uh, and they go on and beat, um, they beat the revolution. Uh, how do you see that as what happens when a new coach comes in, in your experience, like what happens to the players? Yeah, you know, there's always a little bit more juice in the room when there's a new coaching change, you know, because players get concerned. They get concerned about if it's the pro game, they get concerned about, okay, I've got a new coach here who didn't necessarily select me. Am I going to be released in the near future? Am I going to have my contract? Am I going to have to move all the realities right. of life for a pro player? For a college player, it's really not that much different, you know? I mean, there, there's two sides of it. When you mentioned the Sam Allardyce thing, the as an example like the, the 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 conventional wisdom used to be that a coaching change gives you an immediate perk and like the right. the the decision to do that is going to create a disruption that's going to agitate everybody and get their better performances like they've done studies on this data wise and they've flood they've flooded the numbers and it it actually doesn't do that. It happens sometimes, but not all the time. So there's really no point advantage to making a change in coach. So you have to make your change in coach off of other reasons, because if you're just trying to stave off net, uh, relegation and you're trying to get six more points in a short window of time, just yeah. necessarily changing the coach, it ha has proven to not necessarily check that box. Oh my, that's interesting. You know, you mentioned a, a bunch of guys that you worked with at Chivas, you know, Jim Curtin and, and, um, uh, Jesse Marsh. I mean, could you tell they were going to be coaches then? I always talk about my experiences with Mike Noonan, Nick O'Shea. I knew these guys were going to be coaches. They just, they watched the game differently. They talked mm -hmm. about it differently. They, they, you know, they were passionate about the game, but also in another way about the, the, you know, the dynamics and the breakdown, the strategy. Yeah. I mean, the, the one guy for sure that stood out for me in that exact sense was Jesse Marsh. You know, he was very clear and I was there for his last seasons and talked about, you know, retiring, not retiring. We had some really kind of honest and open conversations about, you know, he just was looking for some, another opinion, another perspective. Yeah. And so we had really good conversations. I always, you know, felt good about, you know, our, our exchanges, but he, you know, he, he said it, one, it was how he carried himself and, and you felt like, okay, this guy might 
just looks like someone who might become a coach in the future. And then in his final year, he, he actually started saying it out loud and saying, you know, I do want to coach and this is the path that I'm going to go on. That's and where it so, follows, man. Yeah. He yeah. was able you to kind of it put it out there and yeah, say it out loud, state your intention. But at the same time, he, he worked real hard when he, when he got his opportunities to, to maximize it. You know, if I can equate it to like the comedy industry, believe it or not, um, it, a lot of guys in comedy, uh, and I would include myself in this, was I was in it for the lifestyle, you know, uh, fun, entertaining at night in front of crowds, showing off basically, uh, cute waitresses, free booze, you know, it's sort of a lifestyle. But you have other comics, Billy Burr, Kevin Hart, these guys, since I've known them, in the very beginning, they were all business. They were mm -hmm. all business. Wrote every day, called their agents, called their managers every day. They they were doing it as a business, not as the passion. And as a player playing soccer, I was all about the game. You know, playing the game, and when the mm -hmm. game's over, it's, you know, what do I need to do? Tell me what I need to do, and I'll I'll try to execute. But um, so I've noticed that that people who take it as a business and take it seriously tend to go figure. Get well, let me ask you, uh, in both of those two kinds of comedians, do, do wh what's your thought on when, when, when someone who jumps into an artistic field, like, and, and in my opinion, coaching is an art. So right. what you do is an art as a comedian. What, what are your thoughts on the, the idea of, okay, pursuing your art, but having a plan B, like a fallback plan? I've heard two different thoughts on that. Like, <laughs> hey, you got to scrap your plan B because it's all or nothing on plan A. What, what's your take on that for comedians? Well, I think in both things, if nothing ever goes as planned, even if you have a plan. Uh, for me, my plan A was to be a professional soccer player, right? So that's already a bit of a stretch, especially in America in the mid to late 80s. Uh, my plan B was to be a stand-up comic and I do it in my one man saying like, you know, people are like, that's your plan B. That's a shitty plan. A dude, uh, to be a stand-up comedian, never mind a plan B, yeah. you know, what do you want to be next? A pirate, uh, that yeah. would be, uh, you know, something else. So I, uh, I just noticed that, you know, like, look, it's like you talk to your players, Chris, it's like hard work. Uh, and then you're prepared. And then all of a sudden an opportunity presents itself and you're ready. So uh, and yeah. it never comes the way you're, you're supposed to do. Look, I talked to Billy Burr once. I talked to one comic who said, how did Billy Burr get an HBO special? Because Billy used to open for us in Boston, you know, just yeah. a young kid, just trying to be stand. So you see him as an open micer. And then I saw Billy did got his first HBO special and um, uh, another buddy of mine was complaining about it. And I, I, I saw Billy, I go, hey man, congrats on the special. He goes, oh, thanks man. He goes, I worked my ass off on that thing, man. I had to write and rewrite almost every day for three years. And I kept calling my agents, kept calling HBO. And I finally got it. I'm like, oh my God, that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. You worked your ass off for it. Yeah. It's not like, hey, he's funny. Give him a special. Yeah. You got to jump through yeah. hoops. And if you're not willing to jump through hoops as a player or as a performer, you get not, you know, medium results. Yeah. And that's the thing about coaching that's a little weird is that you can put you can dip your toe in the water and like just coach a little bit coach part-time coach uh you know be an assistant at a high school or be a club right. coach you know and kind of still have your day job quote unquote where you know that wasn't interesting to me and someone like jesse as well like right. it, for us it was like a craft that we were going to fully dedicate ourselves to um and so like that's one thing but it doesn't seem like you can do that in comedy like you can't kind of dip your toe in comedy right like uh, people do people really do. It's like look i can't imagine that goes was, well yeah it doesn't go well generally but a yeah. lot of people like when i was in boston it was a big deal to become a full-time comedian you didn't have yeah. a day job you worked every night and and i became one of those and i was proud of that fact it's different now louis ck david cross they weren't getting as much work on the road 
and in the cities as I was, but then they moved to New York, started writing, mm. had a great paycheck, got to network really well. And then they go up on stage and do what they want because they don't need to do it uh, for the paycheck that at that yeah. moment and they yeah. develop their own style. So it's, uh, you know, so it's interesting. So, yeah. all right, man, this has been, it's been great. I was chatting a little footy with you, man. Um, but we're going to go move on to poop basically. So, uh, again, just to sort of re, re, uh, I'm often rehash. used as the segue for that. So that yeah, you are the first so person. To, uh, yeah. But I said, this article came out Sunday. We're really interested. We had talked a bit before about performance and all this stuff. And look, a, a lot of times when people are like supplements and all that stuff, you know, some people just go off on it. And I think it's like, you know, why don't you put your boots on and, and, uh, get fit instead of looking for these magic things. But when you get to high level performance, you are looking for that little bit of an edge and it looks like they, they might've found one. So let's take a break here. And uh, when we come back, Dr. Jonathan Scheinman and uh, Tim Parker from Houston Dynamo, we'll catch up with them. We talked to them a couple of weeks ago. You're listening to Over the Ball. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, some, uh, some, the pride of St. John, uh, Tim Parker from the Houston Dynamo, and Dr. Jonathan Scheiman. Uh, guys, welcome to Over the Ball. How are you? Great. I guess, thanks uh, uh, Tim, yeah, thanks Tim, for having us. I guess, Jonathan, you're, you're, you're a doctor, so you're, you're just always sort of uh, okay. Um, Tim, you had a, a big win this, uh, this weekend, so you're probably in the recovery mode right now. 4-3 uh, win. Uh, good start for the Dynamo so far this year, huh? Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, a good a good mood today coming off of the day off. But yeah, no, it's been a really good start to the year this far, and uh, we're really excited with how things are shaping up. Yeah, you know the weather gets hot down there as well. We were talking about that a little bit off air. So uh, you know you're a you're a Long Island boy. Um, so uh, how difficult is that as far as recovery with that? You know, I mean, it's really taxing just playing the game the full ninety in and of itself. Never mind at uh, tough conditions like that. Yeah, it's it's something that you do get used to, but it, it is very, very hard to get used to it, um, especially if you're a, a light-skinned man like myself. You know, I don't do too well in yeah. the sun or in the heat, for, for instance. But, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously preparation is key. So, I mean, um, staying hydrated, making sure you're eating the right things, taking care of your body the right way, that's how you're going to maximize uh, your your performances, especially in the heat. And your recovery, especially because so you talk us a little bit about your your recovery and how you do it as a team. So you play on Saturday. Uh, what happens after that? Is, is there a light jog Sunday morning, or what? What do you do now? Yeah, so um, usually on Sundays we go in. We go in for recovery for the guys that got a lot of minutes that night, and then the guys that didn't get a lot of minutes to keep them up to par in terms of management loads in terms of how much they're training, how much they're running, how much they're working throughout the week. Those guys will train on Sunday and it, it's, it won't be a, it won't be a too much of a training session, but it's more or less just to get them equal with the guys that played in the games while the other guys, while the regen guys are kind of stretching, biking, you know, staying inside and kind of staying out of the sun while the other guys get to uh, go run around. But sometimes those Sunday sessions can be a lot of fun, especially for guys that, um, aren't playing in games because they, they, we try to do stuff that is different from what we train in during the week. Yeah. You got it. Well, the, the hard part is to try and find the intensity of a, of a real match, you know, the, the next day. So, uh, so uh, Dr. Scheiman, one of the interesting things, like when I played back uh, right after the war of 1812, 
Um, there was not a there was not a big look at recovery. People had you went for a slow jog maybe on Sunday, the day after a game. Uh, you just hydrated a little bit, tried not to be you know go too crazy. I was talking to the you know uh, Brian McBride, former U.S. Men's National Team player, and I said uh, we were talking about talking to the press after a game, and I said they they would always advise you just to to chill out, take a shower, have a beer or two after the game before you talk to the press. And he looked at me, and goes a beer. He goes, how old are you, dude? And I'm like, why? He goes, we don't drink, you don't drink a beer. You have to drink a recovery drink that's programmed for your body. So this is a whole part of the game that has sort of been discovered and sort of mined. And you're a big part of that with the discovery of, of Nella by Fit Biomics, this, this gut health that we've heard about a lot about. And athletes like Tim, you know, and formerly you and I a long time ago, you know, you're looking for an edge. So, um, you know, talk about that, gut health and, and how you discovered this and how it helps athletes like Tim. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I would just say, uh, well, one, being included with Tim as the pride of St. John's is always a pleasure. And something that I guess, <laughs> yeah. you know, being a walk-on basketball player, nothing that I ever sort of anticipated. So thank you for that. Um, and I'd also just say sure. being sort of a biotech entrepreneur, the notion of recovery and preventing burnout, I think it extends beyond just athletics. You know, actually, I was in graduate school at NYU getting my PhD, and like that was grueling being in a research oh, yeah, lab right. and then doing a postdoc at Harvard and then, you know, uh, now an entrepreneur. So the notion of recovery and like load management, if you will, is both on and off the field. Um, I think to your mm -hmm. point, if you look at athletics or performance, just from a product perspective, I think for decades, it's been about sort of like electrolytes or whey protein with no real innovation. And I think, you know, our background with Fit Biomics is more of a biotechnology approach and actually looking at the human body uh, and sort of decoding elite phenotypes such as Tim and seeing what's going on in their biology and uh, right. in particular the gut microbiome and how the trillions of microorganisms in and on our body greatly influence our physiology from performance and recovery perspectives. So it's just a new train of thinking in terms of what actually affects performance uh, sort of and longevity and recovery. So Tim, I mean, for, for the athlete in and of itself, I mean, I, look, Jonathan, we're, we're talking about very small bits of performance enhancement where the little bit at, at Tim's level makes a difference. So, I mean, Tim, have you, do you have a regiment that you, that you follow? Uh, and have you felt a difference with it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's kind of funny. Jonathan and I have obviously, we've been kind of working together for almost five years in terms of from the start of Fit Biomics and now with the creation of Nella. And I've been on Nella now for about two years. And mm -hmm. I've, I've told Jonathan this from the start. I think my biggest, my biggest um, – the, the feeling that I have most from taking Nella is like during, is like during preseasons. It's when I'm coming, right. when I take that long time off and then when I'm coming back into, into my season, usually when you feel like the most sore, the most tired, um, you know, cause you're getting worked so hard and you probably didn't do as much as you were supposed to in the off season. Right. But when I'm working my way back into things, I think that the Nella really does help with my recovery and it helps me, um, stay, stay. I think it's a couple of steps ahead of other guys. Yeah, you know, this is one of the, the reasons I asked for this interview because because they're a sponsor. I've actually started to take it now for a couple of months, and I did feel a difference myself. And I actually was thinking about when you are training hard, uh, you know, what a difference it would have made. Uh, because, like, you know, Doctor Shyman, you're talking about 
just people in general, uh, physical health and dealing with stress and dealing with, uh, you know, uh, work and everything that we do in normal life. Everybody always sort of focuses on the athletes, but this is obviously things that, that translate into, uh, into everyday life. But uh, this is kind of things like I felt a difference. I felt a difference with my skin. I, I didn't want to gross anybody out. Bowel movements, like all kinds of things, man. It was like, I felt like, but you know, the other thing is I think, um, you know, I take it in the morning. So it's sort of, it starts the day thinking yeah. like, okay, I'm on the right track in the morning. And that's the one of the things I was going to ask you, Dr. Scheinman. I had heard some people talk about it's better to, to take a probiotic at night because it sort of sits there alone or you take it first thing in the morning because it's, it's on an empty stomach and can be more impactful that way. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think each probiotic is different. And I think each person's microbiome is different. I mean, clearly with Nella, um, you know, we suggest taking in the morning before breakfast, you know, with a glass of water, you know, when you wake up. Um, mm -hmm. And to your point, you know, all the symptoms, not symptoms, but all the benefits that I think you're mentioning, you know, including bowel movements, I think that's what Nella is supposed to do. And some of these probiotics from a functional standpoint, it's it helps us with digestion, breaking down food into nutrients for better absorption. It helps sort of with uh, GI regularity, and that includes bowel movements. And I think people sort of uh, underappreciate the notion of how good bowel movements can affect us holistically. Um, and, you know, how that leads to better energy, how that leads to improved quality of sleep. Um, and, you know, and obviously Nella is just the first of many innovations, right? So this is kind of like for gut health, but we obviously have products in the pipeline that can help with things such as like lactic acid metabolism and endurance and things of that nature. So, you know, if you look at the microbiome and next gen probiotics, it could affect all aspects from energy metabolism to protein metabolism to neurology and immunology. And I think for athletes, you know, that's endurance, strength, mental toughness and recovery. But for everyday people, that's just human performance and health. So I think those are the things that we're developing with our, our products. Learning more, like you know, Tim. We're talking about recovery today. I don't know if you had a chance to watch the Man City game on Sunday against Liverpool. You know, I was watching those guys, and even the, the former, you know, pro athletes there, the, the former players in the Premier League, were talking about the level that they play at, which is one aspect. But then the other was the ability to recover. Now they're playing midweek in the Champions League, and then they're playing in the weekend in, in FA Cup. Uh, they have. Heart monitors. Do you wear one, Tim? One of the heart monitors and and tracking devices, which sort of shows you where you are in the red zone and all. Yeah, that? Yeah. So we we have uh, the GPS monitors that like monitor our high speed running, our total distance covered. You know, a lot of a lot of different uh, metrics that sometimes you'll be training and the the strength coaches will someone will pull you out of training because you've already hit your numbers for the day and they don't want you to go over that. And it, it is kind of crazy. It is. It is. I mean, even for me, it's kind of new world stuff where, I mean, that would never have been a thing when I was at St. John's, I'll tell you that. <laughs> right. You know, we, we mentioned before we got on air, you know, I played with uh, Coach Mazur, and I always give this example. He said he was recruiting a player, Tim, and he's checking out this kid, and the kid starts yelling at his mother that she didn't bring his roller, and he couldn't play without his roller uh, before after the game, and he's like, you know what, I... I don't want that kid uh, on my team. I, I could have told you there was no way that kid ended up going to St. John's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so talk about that. I mean, you, you've had a, a really great career, uh, you know, is watching the teams that you played for. And, you know, I think you started out with the Rough Riders. I don't know if you were playing with them as an amateur or had you signed with them after St. John's? Uh, I would play with them in the summers. So when St. John's was Perfect. done, yeah. Yeah, so that's a great way to get high-level you know, training, stay fit. But even you coming into St. John's for preseason, 
man, that's really taxing on. That's where we're all just miserable as players. Everybody's got their feet up, uh, you know, playing um, playing Xbox or something between sessions. Uh, but you have felt a difference with 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 Nella and and at this level now. Yeah, for sure. And I think I think it's like one of it's one of those things that. It's 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 horrible to say, but as you get older, you realize that you have to take more and more care of your body. And unfortunately, right. I'm starting to get a little bit older. You know, I wish I wasn't, but mm-hmm. um, I am getting older, and I do realize the importance of taking care of my body and wanting to stay healthy for as long as I can, and wanting to be able to perform at uh, a, a certain standard that I've kind of set for myself. So, um, taking care of my body in the best possible way, and I think that Nella is going to help me along that process. Yeah, that's what we all look at is how we can extend things. I mean, I think as a soccer player, you get smarter yeah. the more you play. And the, the unfortunate part is as you get smarter, you play smarter, but and you, you get, get older. Slower, yeah. And your body can't really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so Doc, what, you know, that was interesting what you said about, you know, you've, you've sort of discovered, I guess, you discovered this strain of probiotic, which a lot of high-performing athletes tend to have. So you've recreated that in a laboratory, and then you package it. And anybody can get it, basically. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I think if you look at just, I'm a big believer in evolution, um, you know, sort of in all formats, uh, you know, certainly from, as Tim was saying, like even like an individual perspective and just gaining knowledge about our own body and how, you know, we can make better decisions. Um, You know, if you think about sort of like the notion of Gatorade or like be like Mike, or how certain sports performance probiotics are being made now. It's like, well, hey, if I could drink something that a superstar athlete is drinking, then I will be better at whatever I want. And I think that's how things were the past few decades. But I think if you think about Fit Biomics and Nella, what we're saying is, well, no, let's actually see what's working in these athletes. And let's decode that, let's translate that, let's purify that, and actually turn that into a supplement or a capsule um, that everyday consumers can sort of um, take to benefit their health. And it, it doesn't have to be about sports performance. Again, it could be human performance. So to your point, yeah, we have sequenced a lot of elite athletes' microbiomes, their gut compositions, including Tim. We're looking for things that are unique or enriched in their gut, how that changes pre and post exercise. And then once we could identify those uh, microorganisms, we could actually purify them through microbiology techniques and then through fermentation and manufacturing, actually upscale them into supplements for everyday consumers. So that's part of the, I guess, the the be like Mike or the be like Tim, if you will, is kind of where we're at right now. Yeah, for sure. That's a re- By the way, if there's a test on this, I am just screwed. But, you know, I think you're, it's, it's almost like the Gatorade thing where Gatorade was like this, wow, what a, it wasn't really science. I guess it was science, you yeah. know, like sort of replacement with, with salt and, and sugars. And, you know, I used to say to my sister, her, her son would be playing t-ball and she, he'd need a Gatorade. I'm like, he, he doesn't need a Gatorade, man. He's barely running. He's barely running, you know, r- relax with the Gatorade thing. But, um, but this is sort of taking something like a replacement drink in the seventies and eighties that we had and actually putting some real science behind it and, and trying to take it to the next level. 
I mean, absolutely. Again, I think, you know, Gatorade, I think, was science for the time. And I think the notion of electrolytes and hydration and powering athletes, you know, and maybe it's almost like an enhanced version of water or things of that nature. Um, you know, I, I think right. the notion of sort of gut health or even like fermented foods or high fiber diets or even probiotics, that's not necessarily a novel concept. However, I think mm. with the advances in biotechnology and genomics tech developments, we now have tools to rapidly evolve, you know, what a probiotic should be and what the best source of a probiotic should be. You know, current probiotics today come from, believe it or not, like baby poop or food or animals or the environment. So, you know, our approach is, well, if we want to improve human health and performance, let's go directly to the source and see what's naturally enriched and functioning in athlete microbiomes. So in high performance, high performance athletes. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, so what else are you working on and what else is there to discover? Cause you know, t Tim, you know, was dealing today with lactic acid, you know, buildup or, or, or are there any other sort of scientific advancements that you're looking at that could help an athlete? Like Absolutely. Tim? So, you know, I think Nella is just the first of many innovations for gut health, but as mentioned, uh, in the pipeline, we have organisms that break down lactic acid, convert them to short chain fatty acids, which mm -hmm. can promote endurance, uh, and recovery as well. Um, we're isolating thousands of next-gen probiotic candidates from athletes. You know, Nella is benefiting, let's say, Tim, but also Olympic champions, world champions, you know, national champions. And we basically are putting together a whole platform of these athletes to now identify more unique strains that could be beneficial for all sorts of human health applications. So what I would say is we're just scratching the surface of, a, you know, a new frontier in human health as we know it, as mediated by the microbiome and next-gen probiotics. Tim, how long can we get this science to have you play? You've signed a contract extension <laughs> to 2024. You're playing well. You found a really great home. Um, I watched you a little bit when you were in, uh, in New York play. Um, you happy there? You want to play to your 40s? Going to be like the Tom Brady of uh, MLS? I mean, trust me, if BitBiomics keeps coming out <laughs> with, these, uh, with some of these uh, enhancements, then I might, I might be on my way. Uh, well, good stuff, man. Well, it's great talking to you guys. I appreciate it. Like I said, I was proactive with this interview because I said I have certainly felt a difference, but my athletic days are over, and it's the sort of thing you look back on and say, man, how, how you know, could it have happened? And one, what I will say is it's helped me health-wise, like, and I mentioned it earlier in the interview, to, to wake up in the morning. I do that first proactive thing for me with a probiotic, and I'm like, it kind of sets me on a, on a good path. I'm like, I'm already, I'm already taking care of myself, and um, – Maybe the three makers marks I had the night before won't do as much damage as I had anticipated. <laughs> hey, Tim, man, I've really uh, enjoyed watching you play, um, you know, uh, and uh, many more games. Many more yeah. games to you, my friend, and, and best of luck with yeah, the Dynamo. Thank you very much, season. Kevin. No, I appreciate it. You got it. And uh, Dr. Scheinman, thanks for joining us. Uh, all that uh, all that money you spent on education, man, it's, it's coming up well. You went to a couple of, couple of my safety schools, Harvard and NYU, but uh, but you're doing all right. I appreciate pal. it. We appreciate you joining us on Over the Ball, Doc. All right. Thank thanks, you. guys. All right. That was great uh, talking to those guys. You know, Chris, I forgot you were not on that interview. You yeah, said I could something hear, at the top of the show. No, I could hear, but I was having a technical situation and I could not actually throw my voice into it, which is a little frustrating. But sounded like you guys had a blast. We did. We had fun, but it was it was interesting. And then this article comes out. So I uh, you know, I was thinking about, 
you know, the whole poop thing, everybody gets so weird, little kids. When my daughter was in, I think, first grade, I told her the joke. That's probably why I'm divorced because I probably maybe <laughs> tell my daughter stupid things, but you know, it's that old joke. A person's like, Hey, is that dog poop? I don't know. Uh, looks like dog poop. Smells like dog poop. Tastes like dog poop. Oh, thank God I didn't step in it. Right. And my daughter thought that was so funny. She's so, so funny, which I think, all right, we have this little daughter daddy moment as we're walking yeah. across central park yeah. in Manhattan. Well, two days later, show and tell at school. She goes, Oh, oh she goes up and tells a joke. And she tells that joke <laughs> and, and I get called in. No. You know, they're like, well, you know, it, it was funny. Don't get us wrong, but it was inappropriate for a first grader. I'm like, oh, oh, man. I wonder if and nowadays was, you'd get into worse trouble or less trouble. Probably worse trouble nowadays. Absolutely. I think everybody's, uh, well, they're even talking about, I read an article yesterday about, uh, it's the Ken and Karen you know Karen when yes. Karen complains about everything yes. uh, they're saying that now when the slightest slight uh, somebody runs to HR you know and, yeah uh, and this younger generation man they are I mean have you seen it with I mean I guess you have to be sort of careful with coaching because it's a different different generation now you you, you know you yeah can't yell at players and any of that stuff that, that happens. oh it's you know they, they, look it's it's healthy to say that that, that we shouldn't have any kind of abusive situation going on, verbal abuse, any kind of abuse. And so that doesn't make me feel that, you know, I was necessarily coached or raised that way, but right. you know, nowadays we just don't go into those areas, you know, it's, and, and, and it's easy for us to just say, Hey, look, we're being professional and we talk to people. And I think part of the stereotype that's out there, I, I know a lot of parents see this and feel this way is that they all think that coaching means yelling. You know, right. and, and I try to be the model of, no, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, we, we embark with enthusiasm when we're, when we're coaching during the week in a training session, but on game days, in terms of like yelling at someone to improve their performance, I mean, that's, there's, there's nothing to that. I think that's the old sort of uh, what Hank Stram, John Madden, yell from the sidelines, guitar, you know, cigar chomping uh, coach calling in the plays and, and everything else like that. But, you know, I mean, you're coaching on a professional level or you prefer, you know, coaching division one college players. They're obviously it's, it's a different way to motivate people, you know? So, yeah, uh, but we still see this, you know, we still see the, the raising of the voice and the anger and the frustration. And, you know, what we always try to, what I always try to preach is that if you yourself get frustrated as a coach, about what a player is doing. It just means that you haven't taught it well enough. You haven't coached it well enough. So, you know, it's actually a, a source of reflection, which a couple of generations ago, that didn't fly. But nowadays, that's how I look at it. Reflection. Don't even think about it. You know, I remember <laughs> I said, my, uh, my nephew was, was uh, kicking a soccer ball and he ran right over these people's uh, picnic blanket. Yes. And I, and, and I said, I think oh, you told this one. Yeah. Oh, did I tell this already? I'm yes, like, you can't do yes. that. And he wouldn't, he was, he was so focused on the ball, like trying to go get it that he wasn't yeah. listening to me. So I grabbed him by the arm and I said, apologize to these people. You just ran right. And they're like, oh, it's okay. I go apologize. And he's like, uh, what? You know, like he had no idea. And <laughs> yeah. finally I release him catch and release program. I had going <laughs> that summer. And my mother goes, Kevin, you can't grab someone. I'm like, where the hell was that when I was growing up? Right. Grab, grab was a good day. Yeah. <laughs> I got smacked around a bunch of times by the nuns and my, you know, my, my folks, <laughs> my, you know, my God, I said, where was, where was it then? And I deserved it every time. I deserved it every <laughs> time. I got, remember my mother tried to smash my guitar once and I j leaped across the room and grabbed the core, the, the um, strap 
and I mm. kept it from hitting the wall. And she was like, what the hell's going on? And I'm like, I saved it. So, uh, yeah. so all right, man. Well, that, well, that was great. Um, you know, so, hey, folks, don't discount your poop. It can make you a great athlete, apparently. Don't work out, yeah. don't lift weights, don't do wind sprints. Just uh, take a nice bowel movement, and you should be uh, right on the way to the NBA and the NFL and the MLS. No it's worries. another way to reflect. It really is. In fact, I've got to reflect now to tell you the truth. So, all right, everybody, that's all the time we have on Over the Ball today. Uh, you know, I try to bring the level down. Chris tries to bring it up. It's terrible. It's really, it's, it goes back and forth. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Jonathan Scheiman. God bless him for going into the, the, the laboratory every night with a microscope and a tweezers and going through poop. Uh, so, and... Uh, and then Tim Parker, uh, it's, it was, it's been really fun to watch Tim's career and he's just signed a, a contract extension. So good for him. So is, uh, so he must have healthy poop. We, we would assume because they would it give him a contract. Be. It has to one. be. That's part of the vetting process nowadays. I don't want to be in that laboratory. I'll tell you that. So, <laughs> all right, everybody, that's all the time we have. We'll talk to you next time on OTB.